Well, good morning and welcome. We welcome all those that are streaming online this morning too. They're probably in a much cooler place. They're probably streaming from San Diego and Flagstaff and Payson, right? We're, we're stuck here in the heat, but we welcome you uh, that are streaming online. Uh, have you ever felt like God speaks to everyone else, but not to you? I'm sure you have, and there have been lots of persons that I've spoken with across the table that have said something like that to me. You know, Jeff, it seems like God speaks to everyone else, but he never speaks to me. And we read in the, the Bible uh, how God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. And, and we think, man, if God would just speak to me that way, uh, I, I would know his direction. I would know what to do with my life. One time with the prophet Elijah, we read that, that uh, God spoke to him in a still, small voice. God, I'll, I'll take just a still, small voice. Once in the Old Testament, God even spoke through a donkey to Balaam. Incredible, right? Impossible things that, like we just sung about. But we believe here at McDowell Mountain that not only has God spoken but that God speaks and is still speaking to us. We believe that here. And we believe that if we're listening, God will speak to us. So during this series, over the next five weeks or so, like Nate told us, um, you're gonna be hearing from some different voices. And we're gonna be talking about passages of scripture that have spoken to us. We hope that in these moments, they will also speak to you. This morning in Philippians 4, I've chosen a verse that I'm sure many of you ha have committed to memory. I've committed this verse to memory, uh, and I know that there are many people probably here, this is kind of a life verse or a life motto. In chapter 4, verse 13, Paul makes this bold statement, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things I can do everything, one translation says, through Christ who strengthens me. Not about you, but I've, I've thought about that verse over the years. Uh, and I've thought, you know, is Paul expecting us to defy the gene pool that we're swimming in? <laughs> that we can really do all things? I mean, I mean does it mean that, that I might be able to dunk over LeBron James? Does it mean that I, I might be able to take a, a handoff from Carson Palmer and, and run for 80 yards for a touchdown? Does, does it mean that I could get an A in quantum physics without ever even cracking a book? I couldn't get an A in quantum physics if I read and studied it for a couple years, probably. Am I going to defy the gene pool that I'm swimming in? Am I going to be able to climb Mount Everest next week? Probably not. And so what was Paul talking about when he was talking about this all things that we can do through Christ? Well, I always like to set verses, especially verses like this, in their context. I always like to take a look at what Paul is saying around that verse to get an idea of what he meant by that verse. We can get into trouble, can't we, when we lift verses like this out of its context. So oftentimes, most of the time, God speaks to me in his word in the whole context of the story. And this verse is a piece of a larger section 
of verses that, in a letter that Paul wrote to a gathering of Christians that he was particularly fond of. This group of Christians, this church in Philippi that he had started, that he had founded, and this church, this gathering of people have supported Paul as he left them and he began to plant churches throughout the region. So he loves this church. And so I want us to take a look at the context, this verse, this powerful verse that tells us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let's take a look and see if you can pick out some of the things as we read the whole context of this story, see what Paul might be thinking and getting at that we might be able to do, these all things that he's talking about. Beginning with verse two. If you have your Bibles, you can open that up. Chapter four, Philippians, it'll also be up on the screens. Now, now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life and always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon, and don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Skipping over a couple verses. Verse 11, and not that I was ever in need, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Did you catch a couple themes that Paul's talking about there as he leads up to the verse that all of us know and For some of us, it's our life verse or our life motto kind of verse. So in your worship folder today, there's an outline. If you want to fill in the blanks, you can do that. Here's the first thing I think Paul is telling us that we can do through Christ who gives us strength. I believe that he tells us that through Christ, we can love in spite of our differences. We don't know what issues Euodia was having with Syntyche, but it must have been serious. Perhaps maybe it was a harsh word that they had spoken to each other. And now the wall of silence had gone up between them. And these two leaders in the church were feuding with each other. And Paul knew that that potentially could be divisive in the church. And it could also harm their witness in their community. And so he says, settle your disagreements. Maybe one of them or maybe both of them began to spread rumors about one another or about maybe other people in the church. And this can be serious in the church, in the community, can't it? But Paul believed that they could love in spite of their differences. And I started 
preparing this message a couple weeks ago, before the events of the past couple of weeks. We have had ample opportunity as believers, if you're a believer in here today, we have ample opportunity over the last couple of weeks, haven't we, to begin applying what Paul's talking about here, loving in spite of our differences, right? I mean, there's been a reminder of racial divide in our country. And I got to tell you, that over the last 10 days or so, watching how the church in Charleston, South Carolina, has responded to this tragic moment in the life of their church when a racist comes in to their Bible study and slaughters nine of their members. Imagine being in a small group here or in a Bible study here and that taking place. How would we respond? How would you respond to watch as they've responded with graciousness, with forgiveness, I remember thinking to myself and telling a couple of people their spirituality, their walk with the Lord is far beyond where I think mine is because I think I would want to retaliate, come against them. But they've led the way. This church in Charleston has led the way. They've shown us how to do it. Whenever we have conflict, or differences in the church. Paul says, we can do this through Christ who gives us strength. Well, that's how they do it. That's how they've done it, right? In Charleston, through Christ who has given them the strength. It was amazing to me that this young man was even able to walk through their doors and they welcomed him into this Bible study. That's grace. That's graciousness. I live in Fountain Hills. Anybody else live in Fountain Hills here? Come on, you can be louder than that. Fountain Hills, people. Hey, let's hear you. Yeah, okay. Well, I noticed about a month, month and a half ago, these signs going up out in front of various churches, different denominations, and it just said progressive Christianity, fact or fiction. If you're in Fountain Hills, maybe you noticed this. Did you notice this? I, I kind of got curious. I kind of started wondering, you know, what's going on here? Well, these churches, one Presbyterian, Lutheran, there's an Evangelical Church, Pentecostal Church, all, all these churches from different persuasions decided that there was a church in Fountain Hills that wasn't preaching the truth. And so they've kind of ganged up on this one church. Now, I'm not here this morning to say one side's right and one side's wrong. I'm just thinking how sad it is that in a close-knit community like ours in Fountain Hills, that there's this division, there's this divisiveness, because it hurts our witness. It hurts the, the community when we're divided like this. And you know, Paul is telling us here that we can love in spite of our differences. There's been things this week, right? The racial divide, Supreme Court decisions that threaten to divide us. And Paul would say, <laughs> We can love in spite of our differences. There are people that walk through these doors, have walked through this, these doors this morning from all different persuasions. Can't we open up our arms? Look, loving with no strings attached isn't just something we put on a poster here. <laughs> it's something that we believe deeply and feel deeply here and believe that God's word tells us that we can do this. We can settle our differences because of Christ 
and he strengthens us. I love what Bob Goff says in his book, Love Does. It will be love, not our opinions, which will be our greatest contribution to the world. It will be our love, not our opinions. I'm not saying that our opinions aren't, aren't important, they are. But love has to trump that. Just because we have differing opinions doesn't mean we have to be difficult. Paul's saying, this is one of the all things that we can do through Christ who strengthens us. We can love in spite of our differences. Democrats can love Republicans. D-back fans can love Dodger fans. I know this is true because I've had to do this. <laughs> My son moved to Los Angeles and he became a Dodger fan. I said, okay, Matt. I said, I won't disown you right now. But if you ever become a Laker fan, <laughs> so don't worry, Dad, I'm a Suns fan for life. You two fans can love Jason Aldean fans, right? We can love in spite of our differences. Some of you are going, who's Jason Aldean, right? <laughs> we all know who you two is though, right? Okay, just. It's ironic that Euodia, the name Euodia means beautiful words. Syntiki means coming together. I wonder if Paul was saying, please ladies, live up to the meaning of your names. Come together and speak beautiful words to one another. We can love in spite of our differences because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's not always easy in the church or at work or at school. In the Church of God, of which we are a part of the movement called the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, we have always valued and preached unity. We believe that God speaks best to the world through a unified church. We can do this. We can love in spite of our differences. I know that some of you have come in to church this morning maybe you know, wanting some sort of statement the statement is this, love one another. Love in spite of our differences. Isn't this what Jesus said when he said, all people will know that you're my disciples, not by your opinions, not by the stands that you took in life, but by our love for one another. That's what people notice and what they see. Secondly, we can, through Christ, we can live through anxiety or anxious moments. Did you catch this? Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about an anxiety disorder here, a diagnosable mental disorder that can be treated by doctors, therapy and medication and should be treated in those ways. I'm talking about a general anxiousness, a worrying, an asking what ifs. We're talking about the discomfort caused by a mind racing faster than the logic. Worrying about things that we can't control, what we don't know, what could happen. The what ifs in life. 
And you know, the Bible is not silent on this topic. Here are just a few ways that I see the Bible speaking to us in our anxiousness. First of all, we are cared for. Now, a lot of times when persons will talk about having an anxiousness or, or uh, you know, that they're, they're worried about something, a lot of times we'll get a lot of cliche answers, like, if you just had more faith, right? If you just had more faith, then, then you wouldn't worry. Or, you know, God's in charge. Or, or this one, and this one always uh, helps a lot. Just stop it. <laughs> that always helps, huh? Oh, thank you very much. The Bible, though, as I read it, is gentle towards those who have this anxiousness. And those who worry, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you, Peter tells us. Jesus, in Matthew 11, says, are you weary and burdened? Come to me. Come to me if you are. If you're anxious and worried, come to me, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. We don't have a God that stares at us from a distance, eyebrows raised, arms crossed, waiting for us to figure this all out on our own. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up our wounds. I love this the imagery in Psalm 56 where it says, God, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I often use this passage when I'm speaking at a funeral. I'll look at the family and I'll say, God is collecting the tears that you're shedding today. And he collects them in our bottle. Okay, our bottle. <laughs> and he knows them. He's acquainted with those. And someday, I always look at the family and say, someday, he'll take that bottle out and he's going to make it right. He'll make it right. He's gentle. We are cared for. But also, we can calm our anxious thoughts because God is faithful. He's responsible for taking care of us. He is faithful again and again and again. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The next time you feel overwhelmed by anxiousness or worry, take out a piece of paper or take out your tablet and begin writing down the ways that God has been faithful to you. I had to do this in 2008. We were church planters, and we found out on a Friday, we call it our, our Black Friday, uh, that our funding was going to end in 10 days that the, the checks that we have been depending on, uh, we're about a year into the plan at this point, they weren't going to come. No more checks for the church, no more checks for us personally. I thought, what are we gonna do? We're doomed. And I felt this gentle nudge in my spirit that said this to me. Jeff, when was the last time you missed a meal? <laughs> I thought, I can't remember the last time. It was God's way of saying, haven't I taken care of you in the past? Haven't I been faithful to you in the past? Why not now? Why won't I be faithful to you now? We can do that, can't we? Through Christ who gives us strength, we can, we can gather up those moments when we have felt God near, when we knew that God was, was faithful and taking care of us in those moments when we're feeling anxious. Also, we are never alone. 
Something always strikes me in the way that the Lord's Prayer begins. It, it begins, Our Father. Now, a couple ways that's striking to me. It says we have a Father in heaven who longs to take care of his children. But it, it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, My Father who art in heaven. He says, Our Father. He's given us one another. And when we begin to band together, we, we begin to get this power. We begin to believe that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength because he's placed us in a body of believers. It's ours. We're not meant to go through scary Anxious moments alone, we're in this together. We can do all things through Christ because he has given us his church, God's people to come alongside of us. In his book, Not a Fan, Kyle Eidelman tells a story of when he was a church planter. Uh, he was about a year in and uh, he, he was getting super anxious. He wasn't sleeping well uh, at night. Um, and late on a sleepless night, um, on a Saturday night, before church coming the next day, uh, he had this strange feeling that he describes in this book that God was laughing at him. <laughs> he says, you know, I, I was a little bit put out by that, that God was, was laughing at me. I couldn't figure out, God, why are you laughing at me? I don't know about you, but I'd be kind of mad about that. No answer, no reply. And then about five years later, his family was moving, and he was trying to move this, this huge, heavy desk across the floor of their house. And his little four-year-old son came up beside him and said, hey, Dad, do you need some help? <laughs> he was barely moving it himself, and his little four-year-old son came up and, and offered to help, and, and they were struggling, trying to, to get it moving. And, and finally, his four-year-old son looked at him and said, hey, Dad, I think you're in the way. Let me give it a try. And of course, he... He couldn't even budget the little, you know, little four-year-old. And in that moment, Kyle said, I was reminded of the moment five years earlier when God was laughing at me. Because as I looked at my four-year-old son, thinking that he was in charge and that he was the one moving the desk, I started laughing at him. And it was almost like God was saying, five years ago, you thought you were doing planting this church all by yourself. It was almost God reminding me, uh, by the way, I was doing most of the heavy work. <laughs> Not only that, but there were people that came alongside of you, wasn't there, Kyle? Who helped you to plant that church. Something happens when you realize that you're not alone. You begin to believe that you can do all things. We have to let people come alongside of us. We have to open up to others. We have to be vulnerable, don't we, to each other, to receive that power. We have to let them know what's going on in our life. Thirdly, through Christ, we can link our thinking and our doing. Did you notice this? Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Then the God of peace 
will be with you. Paul isn't just saying, you know, think these great thoughts. He is saying, think these great thoughts, but then he says, put them into practice. You have to take them from your head to your heart and then down to your feet and your hands. Thinking about doing something isn't doing something. Doing something is doing something. It's why for years in youth ministry, we always took students on short-term mission trips. We went to some phenomenal places around the world with hundreds of students. I'll never forget this one parent approached me and said, why do you do this? Why do you raise money all through the year and then you take that money and you all you know, buy plane tickets and, and do these short-term missions? Uh, wouldn't it be more helpful just to take that money, gather it up and just send it off to the mission organization? I said, well, perhaps it would, but that wouldn't reach the goal that I'm trying to reach. And he said, well, what's that? What's the goal you're trying to reach? I said, I'm trying to make your kid into a missionary. <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't want his child to be a missionary. And not all of our kids became missionaries. But what happened was they began to link their thinking, what we were talking about in youth group, with doing. Doing something about it. Putting hands and feet to it. There'll be... 20 plus people in about two weeks that will leave the comforts of Scottsdale, hot as it is, and head for the Dominican Republic. Several of you that are probably sitting here in this room. Why is that important to us? It's important to us because we talk a lot here. We talk from this stage. We're constantly talking, right? We talk all the time. It's important that we give opportunities to do it. That's what those people will be doing. And then they're going to come back and they're going to report it to us. We're going to go, man, I want to go do that. There is an inner dissonance, an inner discord of the spirit, if you will, when all we do is think about it and we never do it. When it's only in our head, but it never gets to our heart and to our feet and to our hands. Jason Brown was the highest paid center in the NFL. He played for the St. Louis Rams. In late 2011, he had a wife, two kids, a mansion, and as he tells it, two fully stocked bars. But he and his wife were dying inside. They were likely headed for divorce. They were professed Christians, but uh, they had to admit that all it was good for was a potential ticket to heaven when they died, little else. But he remembers the day when things began to change. He, he went into his large home, his mansion, and he went to both liquor cabinets and just began to pour out thousands and thousands of dollars of expensive liquor. His contract was up with the Rams, and three more teams were pursuing him with even more lucrative offers. And on that day, he turned them all down, sold their mansion, and he bought a farm in North Carolina with a 100-year-old farmhouse and 1,000 acres. And Jason became a farmer. Left his life in the NFL, left the lucrative offers. Seems dumb to us, but he became a farmer. He didn't even know how to farm. He didn't grow up on a farm. He learned everything he needed to know about farming on YouTube. <laughs> I didn't know that you could do that. Anyone can become a farmer. 
His farm is called First Fruits. They got serious about their faith. Last year, they produced 10,000 pounds of cucumbers and 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes, and they gave it all away. Jason sums up his life now this way. I love this line. That's why I'm telling you the story. He said, obedience brings sweet joy. <laughs> See what Jason began to do? He began to link up his thinking with his doing. That's what Paul is telling the Philippians. Think about these things, admirable thoughts, pure, lovely thoughts, and then keep putting into practice. Keep walking them out. That's part of the all things that we can do through Christ who gives us strength. And then finally, through Christ we can learn contentment. We can love in spite of our differences, we can live through our anxieties, we can link our thinking and our doing, and we can learn contentment. I have learned, Paul says, the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mark Batterson in his book, The Circle Maker, talks about uh, the manna that God fed the Hebrew children while they were in exile, uh, wandering in the wilderness, what he fed them with. You, you remember that, right? I mean, each day the manna came fresh and, and new, um, and they would try to gather up more of it so that they would have some left over for the next day. But, but if they did that, the next day it had rotted. It was not good. Except for the sixth day, right? When that manna they gathered was good during the Sabbath. And he talks about this. He says, God was giving to them just enough and just in time. There's a principle there, isn't it? when we're learning to be content, that God gives us just enough, just in time. We want God to provide more so that we need him less. Let me say that again. We want God to provide more so that we need him less. And God says, depend on me. Just enough, just in time. And Paul was able to say, I have learned what it means to be content. Aren't you glad that you can learn that? It's not something that at conversion it just automatically starts happening, right? At, like most things. But we can learn it. We can learn how to be content. A few verses after. So we've set the context of 413. And then six verses later, I believe this is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Perhaps maybe the second greatest only after John 3.16 when we're promised salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul says these words, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. Oh, we may not be able to dunk a basketball over LeBron, or take a handoff from Carson Palmer, or get an A in quantum physics, or climb Mount Everest tomorrow. But we can begin to love in spite of our differences. We can live through our anxieties. We can link our thinking and our doing, and we can learn to be content. These are the all things. This, these are the everything that I believe Paul said that we could do 
through Christ who gives us strength. Our band's gonna come back. This morning, if you'd like to respond, maybe with a prayer written out on a card and placed on the cross, or maybe today you just, you just need to sense and feel the presence of God in your life. Light has always represented, um, and fire has always represented God's presence in his word. So you may wanna just light a candle. Uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for today, for this hour. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that you still speak to us. God, your word says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in and I will sup with them. God, there may be a few here today that sense your knocking on their heart's door. God, might they listen. Might they open that door and allow you entrance into their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.